Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Dominic Booth and we're here to discuss all the latest United issues, the latest news of this week, as well as the AC Milan Europa League game and looking ahead to another crucial Premier League fixture. I'm happy to be joined by Tyrone Marshall and Samuel Luckhurst as always. How are you both? Very well, thank you, Dom. No bad, no bad, thank you. You're both both waiting to jump in, then I can see e- eager, eager as always, which is what we like to see. Um, before we talk about the AC Milan game, we are going to reflect on, I guess, a fairly seismic uh, piece of news earlier in the week, the appointments of uh, John Murto and Darren Fletcher at United as Director of Football and Technical Director, uh, respectively. I'll come to you, Samuel, because this, this is one way we've maybe waited... Uh, a number of months and years for for United to finally make this appointment. Lots of other clubs obviously have these positions already in place, but United have done it internally. They've done it maybe a, a little bit slower and behind the scenes maybe than, than we would have expected. Well, I think it was about two years ago that the word coming from the club was that they were close to appointing a technical director. I think uh, the title was due to be at the time then, and clearly they weren't. They, they took another two years to appoint a technical director, and of course uh, the football director uh, in, in John Murta. Uh, it, it is, in some ways, it's an interesting appointment. In in others, in other ways, it, it isn't. In that um, John Murta hasn't got the profile of someone like. Edwin van der or Luis Campos or Monchi or Ralph Rangnick or Paul Mitchell, all these other names, these external names that were linked with the post uh, who were probably more exotic names in in the eyes of a lot of United supporters. But Murta has got the experience of being at the club since 2013. And I mean, it's it's quite peculiar that David Moyes' lasting legacy at Manchester United is to bequeath them a a director of football or a football director, whatever the title is. But from United's perspective, they felt as though because John Murta had overseen the overhaul of the academy, uh, the recruitment reboot, and also built the women's team up from scratch a few years ago, that that made him the outstanding candidate for the role. It it does still beg the question why... Uh, when two years ago they felt they were homing in on on an appointment that they took another two years and they settled with someone who was, you know, staring them straight in the face really in in, in John Murta. I think I've I've written before with someone like Edwin Van der Sar, um, who's probably the most eminently qualified candidate for that role. I, I pretty much wrote why he wouldn't was never going to get that role. Uh, with with Van der Sar, his position at Ajax is not. It's not a football director. That's, that's Mark Overmars. I'm not quite sure on the specific title. Van der Sar is the, the chief executive. So if he was coming in, he would have been a threat to Ed Woodward. And this decision-making on the technical director, Darren Fletcher, the football director, John Murter, um, and Matt Judge's new uh, title of director of football negotiations was was all Woodward's doing. Um, it wasn't Joel Glazer or Ravan Glazer. I don't think anybody would have expected either of the Glazer siblings to be, you know, drawing out a, a structure of how United should be approaching transfer strategies in, in the future. Uh, but with Murta, he's he's someone who, got, got, dating back to 2014, when Daley Blind and Marcus Rojo joined the club, he accompanied them on their medicals to Bridgewater Hospital. He uh, greeted Alexis Sanchez at the airport. He drove, I think, Alex Tellers into Carrington whilst United were getting trounced by Tottenham earlier this season. So it is a role that he's been warming up for and, and he is familiar 
uh, with the process of United signing players. I suppose the the one quirk about it is that when United felt that they'd that they'd really got the hang of recruitment at the start of last season in in the autumn, sorry, not the autumn. This was it. Yes, it was the autumn of 2019, and uh, there was a lot of details coming out of the club. Uh, Murta wasn't mentioned once in, in, in certainly the dialogue I had with with people at United regarding this whole recruitment reboot. Mick Court was he's the is he the technical chief scout or something like that? It's, it's difficult to keep up with all these titles. But John Murta wasn't mentioned during that point. There was a lot of talk about the recruitment department and the overhaul of that and how they've got that up to speed. So ultimately I think Woodward has surrounded himself with compliant individuals from the manager to the assistant manager to the first team coaches to John Murta uh, in his new role uh, it's it's one of those that you can't really see any of them kicking off there's a good harmony there between them all John Murta is a very amiable bloke he's from Cheatham Hill you know he's he had he's got the Premier League experience of working with Everton he's got I think 23 years experience in football so he's, he's he's really risen through the ranks at United, and he's he's clearly you know, seen off a few managers along the way as well. He's uh, survived tenure after tenure. Uh, I think he was there at Carrington when Mourinho first arrived in in May 2016 as well to greet him. So they they felt he was a senior enough position then to be given face time with with the new manager. And I think around that time he he'd been overseeing or had been in that season overseeing the running of the academy because that was in a state of flux and frankly had been neglected. I think he was running that jointly with John Alexander. Uh, so he's, as I said, he's an amiable enough bloke and you know, from, from the various occasions where I've chatted to him and had, had a little bit of time with him, not, not got a bad word to say from a personal um, perspective, but of course he's going to be judged on um, United's recruitment going forward, although United were conscious in not wanting someone who was just synonymous with recruitment. That's why they felt as though John Murta was the ideal fit because he had other strings to his bow in terms of the recruitment of the women's team and how he's overseen the academy and the work he'd done there. So it's it's an interesting way of United's outlook on it is is very different from how from, from fans' outlook on it and probably journalists' outlook on it as well. But as I said, you know, time will tell whether this this new structure is successful or not. Yeah, maybe Murto not the sexiest appointment, uh, Ty, in, in those terms, like the names that Samuel mentioned, obviously being linked to the role. But then we've got Fletcher on the other side of things, obviously, you know, former United player himself, came through the, the system under Sir Alex Ferguson and initially was added to Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, not Sir Alex Ferguson, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, shouldn't really compare the two just yet. Um, He was added to Solskjaer's coaching staff, wasn't he? And we saw him in, in the stands at games rather than on the, the bench with the coaches. That maybe gave a hint to what his role might be in the future. What do you make of his appointment as a, a technical director, maybe somebody who, who can breach the the divide between pitch level and boardroom level? Yeah, I mean, he's clearly someone who's got an awful lot of respect within the game. You know, there was that story of him holding court at Anfield recently when he when he stepped into the director's box. And, you know, he obviously knows a lot of people and is very well respected within the game. It's obviously a very collegiate approach that United have gone for in terms of trying to link every department within the club and, you know, make a clear pathway in, in terms of who's doing what and for, for players coming from the academy. So... You know, it, there's a lot of people there doing separate jobs with with a risk of crossover, I guess. So it's obviously one that needs to be delineated fairly clearly in, in terms of who's doing what. But, you know, I think Fletcher has got an awful lot of football experience. He's worked in punditry. He's coached the kids at, at United recently. And obviously he's now worked with the first team. So 
you know, he he's well across what it takes in in terms of what's required to make that that step up and and things like that. And I think in you know in John Murphy, you've got probably no one at United at the moment has a better idea of how that football club works than John Murphy in terms of you know every single department and, and every single team. He's he's been everywhere really. So you know, it, it's an interesting structure. I suppose it's unusual for a club to have a technical director and a football director, and, and there is the risk of of jobs becoming confused. But I think United have been at pains to try and point out what their roles are and that it, it you know it's not just recruitment for for John Murter and it's not just the technical side for for Fletcher it's going to be interesting to see how it works you know that they're, they're, they're not I suppose the sexiest appointments but with these with these kind of things it's, it's probably the fans that are looking for, for the sexiest of names really it doesn't really matter if you you've got a profile or not it, the profile is is for the fans really it's about having especially in John Murta's case having having a good relationship with agents and, and things like that and you know the example we've touched on a couple of times in podcasts here is Michael Edwards at, at Liverpool who could walk into a room we could probably share a lift with him and I don't think any of us would know what he looks like but he's done a brilliant job on recruitment at, at Liverpool so it doesn't necessarily matter that you're not a name getting yourself out there and, and doing interviews like a, a Monchi or, or a Lewis Campos or, or something like that so yeah. It, you know, it, it can work for United and it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. But they've obviously gone for the sort of collegiate and, and, and soft approach in terms of linking everyone at the club. Yeah, so I suppose we should be a little bit careful complaining at too many people in these roles after a good two or three years of complaining there was nobody in these roles. So I guess there's a, a bit of a balance to be struck there. United's obviously transfer success has been checkered, Samuel, in in the last year or two or probably in the last eight years since Sir Alex Ferguson's retirement. Is there a, a sense of how these two new guys and, and the whole club are going to approach transfers going going forward? Obviously, the summer window is going to be a crucial one. Still might be the effects of the pandemic, but is there a, an approach or a, a change of strategy that you might, United might lay out with these two new guys? They've not communicated that. I think the strategy will, in essence, remain the same, which is this preference for players aged between 23 and 28, which they've been reasonably consistent with since Solskjaer took over. That uh, There have been a lot of exceptions also, not to mention the, the short-termism of, of, of Igalo coming in on loan and then Cavani coming in on loan, which um, I think in, in Igalo's case, it was mainly because Rashford had got injured. In Cavani's case, it was just that opportunistic move for a player who they felt could actually come in and, and help them and keep Marshall on his toes when it turns out that Cavani trampled all over Marshall's toes and Marshall's not actually, as, as we said before, Marshall just doesn't respond very well um, in the face of adversity. But I think everybody's on the same page there um, in terms of what, what United want from from their targets this summer. That, that whole thing hasn't changed in the Essentially, as soon as the summer transfer window closes, they start preparing for the next summer transfer window and come the new year, they have a short list of targets for each for each position. And then it's a case of going out there and trying to execute those deals. The difficulty this summer, and it's a difficulty that every club, every major club has, is that every club pretty much needs a major player in at least at the very least, two positions. And in United's case, they clearly need a new centre-back and they need a new centre-forward. I find it, I think it's highly doubtful that they will get two eminent names for those for those positions. Uh, I, I can't see, for instance, United signing Rafael Varane and Erling Haaland, unsurprisingly. Um, and that's without even mentioning you know, the, the whole problematic right-wing right role um, after the, the pursuit of Sancho last summer. As I said before, I, I sincerely hope they don't go for Sancho because it was just so, so tedious. And there is something to dread in them going after another Dortmund player who 
can't see leaving this summer, particularly as Haaland has got uh, a release clause for 75 million euros that's active next year, I believe. I think if you're Haaland, you kind of you kind of hang tight if you can. But of course, if Dortmund don't qualify for the Champions League next year, and given their financial losses already, then they are going to have to sell one of those big players in their squad. And you know, maybe their preference would be to get rid of Sancho. But right now, I think a lot of United fans uh, would probably rather take Haaland over over Sancho. I know that's 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 debatable, but from from my perspective, at least anyway, I think United need Haaland more than, than Jaden Sancho at the moment. So it's it's going to be a very trying and testing summer for United. And frankly, although from although United feel as though they've nailed recruitment, you look at Solskjaer's signings and there is a massive caveat with all of them. Maguire, they played paid a world record fee for um, a, a defender who's not world-class and they already need another centre-back and you only saw against Milan another goal conceded from a set-piece. I know he wasn't directly responsible but it doesn't reflect greatly on his authority that United keep doing that. Daniel James is a squad player at best. Aaron Wan-Bissaka does have a high ceiling defensively. He's not flawless. In attack, he's pretty non-existent. Johnny van der Beek has just been a disaster so far. Um, United have to hope that he comes in the second season like Fred did. But in fairness to Fred, Fred had done an awful lot more by this point in his first season for United than van der Beek has. Uh, van der Beek just has become an afterthought. Ahmad, fortunately for him, he's he's looked bright in his um, cameos. scored an excellent goal against Milan. He's got a big future, it looks like. Palestri, it's difficult to comment on. Cavani, we'll get on to that, I'm sure. Uh, shortly there are a number of issues there now which could mean this is his last couple of months at United so the the standout buy of course is Fernandez, and I think that does maybe skew perceptions of how United have gone about their recruitment because he has just been such a phenomenal signing but they, they've not nailed it as much as they think they have and there seems to have been this dismissive outlook on the signings Mourinho made and of course Sanchez was an absolute disaster and that's just a busted flush at the time they signed him. But when you look at Eric Bay, who's someone whose contract talks, Matic was given a new contract last year. Lindelof got a new contract on uh, Solskjaer's watch. They are not a better team without Romelu Lukaku, no matter what people say. Lukaku is a better striker than Anthony Martial, and he'll always be a better striker than Martial. United still haven't replaced him. You know they've they've not won a trophy since Ibrahimovic left, and since Paul Pogba got injured against Everton, United have been unwatchable. So it's amazing how perceptions can change quite quickly um, with players who are still at the club who were signed under a previous regime, and how the players signed under the current regime their reputations can nosedive and there's not a better example uh, of that or worse example depending on how you look at it than, than van der Beek. yeah unwatchable you was the word you mentioned there so i might as well get on to the ac milan game it seems like a, an apt place to to bridge that and and talk briefly about that and we'll talk a little bit about um cavani and injuries um as we talk about the west ham game later in the podcast but uh ty it was a really difficult game to watch, actually. The the one all draw with Milan on on Thursday night, uh, I, I found it almost one of the one of the worst United displays of the season. Had it not been for that Ahmad goal, which obviously lit it lit it up and gave us journalists lots of talking points and got fans very excited, scoring within five minutes of coming on at half time, there was really very little for United to hang their hat on. And I think Paul Scholes said it afterwards on BT Sport. They were fortunate to come away with with a draw, really, despite obviously conceding a last-minute equaliser. Yeah, I mean, on the balance of play, they were second-best for the entire night, really. They, they were comfortably outclassed by an AC Milan team who have got 
a lot of injuries of their own. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure how much of an excuse that can be for United, given their opponents are, are struggling as well in that regard. Um, I mean, Harry Maguire said after the game, Ahmad's goal was the only positive of the night. And I think that was a, a pretty fair reflection, really. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't think there was anything else to encourage United, other than the fact that maybe you could say and, until the goal, they defended pretty well. They were close to getting a clean sheet. They didn't deserve. They protected Henderson's goal pretty well, but then they, they fell asleep from a set piece, conceded from a set piece. Henderson would probably have saved it and, and any positives around the defence uh, probably disappear at, at that moment. You know, beyond that, there was just nothing. I thought the midfield was just a complete disaster zone, just chaos in the midfield. It's difficult to see how a pairing of Matic and or Fred or McTominay can work at the moment. They're just not giving United anywhere near enough. It was the case against Palace with Matic and Fred and it was the case with Matic and McTominay last night that you're almost playing as a back six and a front four. It's two. It's like two separate teams playing for the, the same team. There's just no sort of link between the defensive midfield side and the front four and it feels like they're almost doing doing separate jobs and that the, the back six are trying to stop goals going in and the front four are trying to create them and, and neither are contributing to, to the other's cause really. It's you know, it's a bit of a disaster in midfield at the moment. Um, obviously, the injury to Martial is is a bit of a, a nightmare in terms of just a, a lack of bodies. And then, yeah, like we say, Ahmad was the only positive, a brilliant run, phenomenal pass from Fernandez, and you know, a really well taken and, and clever goal. But beyond that, it was it was pretty eye opening how how bad United were and how good Milan you know, how good Milan were. You know, the, the golfing class was apparent. And I think had United lost 3-1, they probably couldn't have complained. The the decision to disallow Frank Keski's goal felt harsh. I suppose it's it's in the rules still at the moment. But, you know, it was one United were fortunate to get away with. He shouldn't be getting that much room on the edge of the box, really. You know, considering United playing two defensive midfielders, one of them has to be near one of the midfielders from a, from a throw-in. And it's ridiculous that he wasn't. And it just felt that time and time again, Milan are players running at the United defence and considering you know Matic is supposed to be the most natural defensive midfielder in the squad and he's playing alongside McTominay who can fulfill that role and has a lot of energy they were just completely outclassed by Kessie and Mete and they just offered very little protection to the back four it felt like Maguire and Bayou were exposed to Diaz or Rafael Leao running at them constantly so yeah all around you know it, it was a, a pretty poor performance and I think although they'd be frustrated to concede at the end I think United consider themselves very lucky to have actually got a draw out of that game. Absolutely, yeah, and with United, the way United's away form has been this season, you probably wouldn't write them off doing something in the Sun Zero and uh, and performing much better than they did at Old Trafford. But you kept coming back to it there, Ty, uh, the midfield issue, and I can only agree. I think that people criticise McTominay and Fred when they play together, but I think at least with those two, they both have energy. One of them can can run forward while the other one sits. I think when Matic is there, I think maybe McTominay and Fred get a bit confused about about what they're supposed to be doing, whether they go forward or back. Um. Samuel, might as well focus on the injury situation. United were hampered by by injuries. A lot of people missing Rashford, Pogba, Van der Beek. Uh, Martial came off injured. We've got the Cavani injury situation that's rumbling on now. And that's maybe putting into doubt whether United are going to extend his contract or not. But it couldn't be an excuse for United last night injuries. And it, it can't be an excuse, really, the way that that performance mirrored so many others when they've had a fully fit squad earlier in the season. Well, Milan's team was arguably more depleted. I think Milan must have been missing six or seven regulars, probably, um, just off the top of my head. Hernandez, Romagnoli, Ibrahimovic, Rebic. Uh, there were a couple Mandzukic. more as well. Yeah, Mandzuk- I mean, Mandzukic isn't a regular, but he's obviously, he's, he's a name that you recognise, I guess. But I think Kessie is one of those players that people have been aware of for quite some time and 
he was he was terrific to watch. He was really good. I mean, he was so good that I maybe wondered whether he was punching above his weight, looking for a move uh, at some point in the future, because he's got that platform to actually play against a, an English club in front of an English audience. And I'm, I'm sure there are probably some supporters and uh, executives at Premier League clubs who will have, you know, been been impressed by how he played. But as you said, I think problem, as Ty said, the, the problem at the moment, and it's, it's one to throw out there really, is that since Pogba got injured, United have looked really, really poor in midfield. And Solskjaer isn't really doing anything to change it up. Um, it's always two of McTominay, Matic and Fred. And I really think he needs to be a bit more innovative there. And it is there's an element of risk with it, but it's, it's probably gone now in terms of the chance to do it. But I think there was probably a time where he probably should have just trialled Fernandes there. Uh, Fernandes can play deeper. It, it said it all that the goal came from deep last night because Fernandes got on the ball there with, with the free kick. Uh, it was almost as if he was railing against the, the sheer lethargy in, in midfield from, from McTominay and Matic and, and played that ball for Ahmad. But Solskjaer, the, I suppose the caveat is obviously you don't have moved Fernandes away from the 10 role because he's his numbers are just so phenomenal and there's not an alternative at the moment. Mata wasn't getting a look in before he got injured. Lingard's on loan at West Ham at an absolute at a real push. Palestri, he's he's on loan at West Ham as well. It's it's difficult to think who would actually play there. And it is pretty dire for United that Marshall gets injured and that's seen as a as a significant blow. I know he did play well at the weekend, but it's not like they've They've missed him when he's been playing, when he's not been playing recently. He's he's not had a good season. But West Ham will not be quaking at the prospect of coming up against a front three of Greenwood, James and Ahmad on Sunday. I think West Ham are obviously having a, an excellent season and they will really fancy their chances of, of getting something from Old Trafford. Yeah, it pales into... Uh, it's Well, it, it puts a scrutiny on that decision to send Jesse Lingard out to West Ham. I know there were lots of reasons why that, that hugely benefited him and he hadn't been getting a lot of football at United tie. But the way Lingard started at West Ham, he could certainly do a job for United in probably in multiple positions at the moment, the way that their squad's looking in terms of fitness and form and everything else. Yeah, definitely. You know, it, I think he probably needed the fresh start. And w- without that, you wonder if he'd be playing the same as, as he did for United. I think I mentioned it a couple of times that it feels like Lingard, it was the case with Chris Morlin. I think it'll probably be the case with Phil Jones. These are good players that have just got lost in the churn of the, the post Ferguson years, really, and have completely lost their way. Smalling went and proved what a good defender he is at Roma. Lingard's proven what a good player he is now. Phil Jones will eventually surface at Newcastle or somewhere like that, you'd imagine, and will probably prove that he might not be the next Duncan Edwards, but he's actually, you know, a, a still a pretty decent Premier League footballer. So, you know, I think I, I'm not sure it would have happened for Lingard if he'd stayed and he'd been put into a, a deeper midfield role. It felt like yeah. he needed that change of change of scenery to, to do him some good. You know, the, the injuries are a problem for United at the moment, but this is a, every Premier League team has had major injury problems at one point or another this season. You know, to give United their due, they've made hay while the sun shined really in in terms of injury. But at one point or another, every club has had problems with injuries. Crystal Palace have had major problems. Leicester are having major problems at the moment. Obviously, we know Liverpool have had major problems. City have had injury issues fairly regularly as well. So you can't, you know, I'm not sure we can use it as too much of an excuse, especially not as, you know, I think a lot of United fans agreed with Roy Keane's rant about how Liverpool were, you know, making up excuses for for their poor title defence. So, you know, I'm not sure United can clutch at the same straws now of, of injuries in a season where, you know, there's not a single Premier League club that has escaped a, an injury crisis at one point or another this season. And United is coming to them now. And, you know, it is problematic that 
you've basically got six attacking players, really, when you think of Pogba, Van der Beek, Mata, Rashford, Cavani and Martial out. That's obviously going to hurt any team. But, you know, every team has been there really this season. So United just have to find a way of, of coping without them, really. Yeah, it feels like United maybe delayed have delayed the inevitable. We were praising them a couple yeah. of weeks ago, weren't we, for avoiding injury and the medical staff obviously have done a good job. People like Rashford nursing problems throughout the campaign. Now it's, it's maybe coming back to bite them a little bit. And before we talk about the West Ham game, uh, more specifically, Samuel, you've you've written a story. Manchester Evening News today, Friday lunchtime. United unsure whether to extend Edinson Cavani's contract uh, over concerns about his availability. We had the uh, interesting quotes earlier in the week from Edinson Cavani's father, which may be a subject of a mistranslation. Who knows? It was quoted as saying he was uncomfortable in Manchester, linked with a move to Boca Juniors, a return to South America. It's it's all become a little bit ugly and a little bit confusing the Cavani situation weeks after it all appeared to be rosy and he appeared to be making a superb impact it's changed very quickly this one yes uh someone at the club about a month ago alluded to the difficulty uh, for foreign players adapting to uh, living in England during during the pandemic which is completely understandable and, and Cavani was this was during a conversation about Cavani and Solskjaer has been making comments about Manchester weather how they need that to improve to convince him to stay uh, I mean it, as you can imagine it's, pr- it's a pretty bleak existence in a lot of ways you come to a, com- a country for that you've not lived in before that you don't, you don't speak the language and you can't do anything pretty much. I dread to think how many days Manchester has, has been out of lockdown or had restrictions lifted over the last year. It's it's fewer than somewhere like London, obviously. When when the tier system was in place, it seemed like the northwest was getting penalised unless you were the city of Liverpool and willingly being a, a guinea pig during the testing uh, process. But now with Cavani, the, the issue is, is a little bit different in the he's been cleared to play by the medical staff but he's not felt available uh, or sorry ready to play he's felt uh, an issue of some kind and of course he's missed I think six of the last seven matches now and he didn't complete 90 minutes against Palace last week I wasn't surprised whatsoever when we reported on Saturday that he wasn't that he was a doubt for the derby that he was he was unlikely to be in the squad because that's just the way it's been going. Um, probably as you said a, a month ago, it, it seemed like a no-brainer to extend his contract, keep him around about the place, and then maybe park plans to sign the centre forward until next year, even though there is an element of risk with it. But now at the moment, looking at it, it's as Solskjaer said, the, the narrative changes week by week or every other fortnight. It's like this week, maybe after that set piece goal, it's United need a centre back. Last week, it was United need a centre forward, and now with the Cavani thing rumbling on, it's they need a centre forward again. I mean, the reality is they do need to sign players for both positions, but to get those the specific targets they want is going to be non-impossible in the transfer window with the club reeling from the impact of the pandemic still. Uh, it's it's just it's so, so difficult. And I think ultimately, if you were to be objective about it, if you had to choose, you would probably say they'd need to send forward more because it just boils down to that 
basic aspects of football that you need to score goals to win matches. You know, you can keep clean sheets, but you need actual goals to, to win games. And United do not have a reliable centre-forward at the moment, even with Cavani, arguably. I mean, he's he's only started 13 games this season and he should probably have more than seven goals. He's had some good chances along the way. He's hit the woodwork a couple of times. He's been unlucky. That chip against PSG, you think what slide indoors moment that was, that would have put United 2-1 up. And in a game, they only needed a draw to get to the next stage to the knockout round of the Champions League. But he has scored probably fewer goals than you you might have expected, but he was brought in to keep Marshall on his toes and Marshall just hasn't reacted well to that at all. And they've both got, uh, coincidentally, the same number of goals this season, seven. So it, it is an issue, but as as I said, um, before Cavani's agent came out, sorry, not his agent, his father, Luis, uh, came out with those comments this week about how unhappy he is in Manchester. United did have doubts about extending that contract and it, it is one of those issues that it's not like with you know Jesse Lingard who uh, they just extended the contract of or I think the exa- one of the best examples was Ander Herrera a few years ago found a letter from the club in his morning post opened it and was informed that his contract had been extended by a year nobody told him face to face he just received a letter from the club which is is just bizarre. I think with the, the senior 30-somethings of the squad, there has to be a mutual agreement to extend. Um, that applies to Juan Mata as well. So Cavani, they're not going to hold Cavani against his will, effectively. And there's an easy spin for United to put on it if, if they don't end up keeping him. He's probably earning about 200 grand a week. That's 200 grand cleared off the weekly wage bill. Uh, He was a short-term addition. He had a positive impact at first. Overall, they'll probably say his season, it was worth worth the expense. He will have helped them in some way or form. And it's time to move on and go out there and get uh, a a long-term centre-forward. But then they have to actually sign the long-term centre-forward. That's a tricky thing in a a pandemic hit window, probably. And will they they get Erling Haaland? Mino Raiola is is still his agent. We know all about United's dealings with him. So there could be all sorts of difficulties. We should point out that Solskjaer did play down um, rumours of unhappiness about Cavani and Cavani did tweet proud to wear this shirt. And I guess it remains to be seen. But you you say he played down rumours, but... Then well, he's he always asked, going to, isn't he? I suppose. Yeah, he, he was he was asked to follow up to it, and he pretty much said it's Edmondson's decision. We're waiting for Edmondson's decision, but we've seen before with Solskjaer, we've seen with Ferguson. Every manager, you know, they they fib in press conferences when when it suits them. They are prepared to fib um, just to suit their agenda. That's that's just part of the game. It's it always has been. Absolutely, yeah, and. Like, like you said, Samuel, United do have to prepare a more longer-term transfer strategy. That's what comes back to what we were saying at the start of the podcast with the two new additions to the director roles. They have to find these uh, positions, centre-forward, centre-back, uh, right-back, I suppose, you talk about as well this summer. OK, quickly, we'll talk about West Ham and then we can all break for, for the weekend. United taking on a side who are in really good form themselves. David Moyes, obviously, a familiar face. West Ham pushing for, for Champions League football. United with this poor record at home in the Premier League this season tie. It, it's got all the makings of a banana skin, or you probably wouldn't even call it a banana skin on current form. Yeah, it has, apart from the man in the West Ham dugout, I would say, who rarely grasps the nettle when games against the big six are, are there for the taking, really. I think Moyes is, is cautious and downbeat by approaching in these games and in a way that might suit United because as you say United look incredibly vulnerable against a team that are in great form and West Ham should be licking their lips but 
we've seen it before with with Moyes. I think we spoke about it before the FA Cup game when they just lost to to Liverpool in the Premier League, and, and that was a Liverpool who were absolutely for the taking. And Moyes just paid them an incredible amount of respect and almost put the fear into his own team about what they were facing when really they, in their form then, they should have just gone for Liverpool and, and beaten them. And, you know, this has always been the issue with Moyes. It was the issue when he was Everton manager. been the issue at, at every club yeah. since then. That his record against the big six is terrible. And I think a lot of that is down to the way, he, you know, almost the message he, he sends to his team about how, how good these opposite, these these teams are that he's facing. So, you know, West Ham should be coming up here and thinking, this is for the taking. Looking at that front three, looking at, you know, realistically, there's probably two players, three players, they need to keep quiet and they can they can win the game. I mean, if you stop Fernandez, then they'll be very close to, to beating United, you would think. But you just wonder whether, you know, West Ham will, will have the ability and, and the faith in their own game to do that. And in a way, maybe it helps United that they are playing a team who are, who are led by a cautious manager and one who might might see the risk in, in attacking United, in, even if it's a wounded United. Well, it's a lot more optimistic than I thought you'd be, uh, Ty, about it. But <laughs> I, I've got visions of Suchek and the uh, the tall West Ham players causing havoc from set pieces. We know United's vulnerabilities from set pieces. Samuel, how do you see this one going? I, I, it has the look of drop points to me, but uh, if I had to ask you for a prediction... Uh, I'd, I'd abstain because I hate making predictions, but I, I can I can see West Ham taking something off United at the weekend purely because of United's form, their injury uh, issues. The Derby performance win just looks like an anomaly if you look at their form over the last month or so. I thought they were excellent in the first half against Everton United when they were two nil up at half time. They threw it away in the second yeah. half, and yeah. they've not really recovered from that. They've they've been there's been so much drudgery since then. West Brom away, Chelsea away, Palace away last night. Uh they've become draw specialists. That's the irony of it. This this period that as Solskjaer told everyone last week they were ten games unbeaten. Well they're now twelve games unbeaten. And I, I certainly can see them scoring in, in San Siro next week. I think Milano understandably their favourites and they'll fancy their chances given the way they played without their, their big hitters at Old Trafford. Uh, but I can see United scoring in the second leg at least so that, that gives some 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 comfort but with the West Ham game if if Moyes has any sense of adventure about him which is as Ty said extremely dubious I think he I don't think he's actually won it has he ever won at Stamford Bridge or Arsenal or Anfield or mm. Old Trafford with with opposition teams I don't think he has um, I think he won at Stamford Bridge with Everton in the FA Cup but that was on a penalty shootout about 10 years ago. Um, it certainly didn't I mean, when he was in charge of United in those big games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, how, how the hell, you know, it's, it's a whole different podcast, but how the hell he ever got that job? It's just Liverpool fans must have been absolutely beside themselves that day. It was a good, I think it was a good time for Liverpool fans because obviously they, they, they there was the news of Margaret Thatcher's death, which they quite brazenly celebrated. And then they had David Moyes coming in at United, you know, I'm only saying that on behalf of Liverpool fans. It was quite clear at the time what the mood in Liverpool was uh, regarding that that particular particular time. We usually so, talk about right wing issues of a different type on this podcast. I know, but there we go. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. So, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know, it's you know, there are people out there who like Thatcher. There are people out there who dislike Thatcher. It's 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 democracy. Um, but I, I yeah, as, as I said, I think it does hold West Ham back that Lingard's not playing. Um, we. we Speaking about that last night, I think that's a rule that really needs to just end for Premier League clubs. This whole thing about players not being able to play against their 
their parent club i think you've just got to respect that they're professionals and not handicap the teams that they're that they're coming up against but it, it wouldn't surprise me if it ends in a draw like it has it does feel like it's got a draw written all over it and if you must press me for a prediction given that i got the last one right i think ty and i both said one one for the milan game and we, we were correct indeed on that. it did yeah uh, then i can i can certainly see a similar score line this weekend yeah, I think if you were asking me and you're not, I would say 1-1. One, one. Uh, Ty, are we going to get a United win prediction from you? Yeah, I'll be different and say 2-1. Interesting, interesting. You're backing United to actually score some goals at home, which uh, apart from Ahmad's header, we've seen precious little of. Uh, but thank you, uh, both of you, for your contributions to today's podcast. Obviously, the United game you can follow on the Manchester Evening News on Sunday. And please leave us a like and a subscribe on this podcast as well. And we'll be back to review that game and look ahead to the second leg at AC Milan next week. Thank you to both of you.